This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Good evening. You're listening to Femme Fatale on Joy 94.9 with Kat and Gemma. Good evening. Femme Fatale is a discussion and dis- dissection. I was, I I was about to say good evening to you then because I thought that that's what you were being so formal and polite that I, I felt like it warranted a response. Whoa, sorry. So, good evening, Gemma. Good evening, Catherine Ann. <clears throat> Femme Fatale is a, for those of you who don't know and haven't tuned in and are tuning in for the first time, is not just a comic banter between Catherine Ann and myself <laughs> for no reason is a discussion and dissection of the issues facing women in life, health, relationships and the arts. Indeed. And on tonight's show, we're talking about women and their sexuality, which sounds like a broad topic. But it is a broad topic. We've narrowed it down to three things we think are really important to talk about. Some of them are a little bit serious. Some of them are a little bit funny. Um, we're going to talk about sexual fluidity and how, how some women identify in one particular um sexual identity but actually that means something different to them and there's a lot of variation on the scale out there in the world we're talking about gender identity and gender bending and and the rise of you know um f to m transgender in Mm -hmm. and and also um a little bit about bisexuality and how that fits into the how how it's all starting to show up in the research that people are doing finally and last but not least we're talking about lesbian bed death (laughs) Yes. <laughs> just as, you know, one of those fun books. Now, we just want to put it out there. There's only a few weeks till Christmas, and we are doing a Christmas Eve show at 8 o'clock. So we want to hear from you about what you would like us to talk about on Christmas Eve. We can just play awesome tunes. We can sing Christmas carols to you, whatever it is that <laughs> makes you happy and makes you tick. We want to host a big gay Christmas, but we really want to know what you guys think. So... Let us know. You can text us during the show at 0427-JOY949. You can Facebook us at Femme Fatale. You can use the smartphone app um, or you can email us at femfatale at joy.org.au. So we will be back to talk about women and their sexuality. You're listening to Femme Fatale on Joy 94.9. Good evening. You're listening to Femme Fatale on Joy 94.9 with Kat and Gemma. If you haven't heard our show before, Femme Fatale, it's a discussion and dissection of the issues facing women in life, health, relationships and the arts. The first song of the night was Close to You by Little Birdie and we heard A Fine Romance by Ella Fitzgerald, which I am lovingly dedicating to Ben and Ben, who was in on the show before with Deal and Vicky, um, who won Big Brother and then proposed on live television to his partner, which made international newspapers and was one of the top three stories in the US, which is very exciting. So that is really exciting. I'm dedicating that song to them. And <laughs> lastly, we just heard Gorecki by Lamb. I haven't heard that for ages. What a one great my, song. Yeah, one of my favourite tracks. So you're listening to Femme Fatale on Joy 94.9. If you want to weigh in on the conversation, tonight we're talking about women's sexuality and some of the stuff that's <clears throat> out there in the research and needs to be researched a bit more, you can text us during the show at 0427JOY949. You can Facebook us. Uh, you can use the smartphone app or you can email us at femfatale at joy.org.au. So, Jen, what are we talking about first? Well, we're talking about sexual fluidity. <laughs> it's really a hard. lot harder to say than you might think. I was trying not to say sexual fluids, but now I've said it, <laughs> so that's over and done with. Moving on. 
sexual fluidity in um, in the queer community, um, LGBTIQ. <laughs> One of my favourite acronyms. Um, we've been doing a lot of reading of late and so many interesting things have come up. I uh, recently read a study which was put out for health professionals and written by psychologists, philosophers, doctors, you know, academics, the lot, who've done taken and kind of compiled all of the studies around sexuality and gender for the last 20 years and marked trends and, and mm-hmm. have challenged stereotypes. So some really interesting things came up into discussion. We wanted to talk to you guys about them because this is who it really affects. Um, one of the most interesting points that came up for me was that a vast majority of self-identified lesbians out of eight, like 100%, 80 to 90% have had at least one male sexual partner. Mm-hmm. in their lifetime. So the gold star lesbian that we always talk about, which was one of our favorite shows, is like you know, 10% It's of, actually pretty rare. 10% of the population. Yeah. Um and I the other thing that I thought uh, was really interesting was that there didn't seem to be as much of a correlation as you would think between um how you identify and how you actually behave. Yeah, so there's a huge gap in the research because a lot of the research in earlier years focused on the way women identify. So whether they identified as heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, etc. etc. Et um, but they found that um, women, their behaviour didn't really match the way they identified or they didn't really understand their identification and yeah. so they weren't behaving within the parameters of it. So the yeah, research yeah, yeah. wasn't accurate. So, or, so what sort of comes out of that that's really interesting is that um, uh, self-identification in itself um, has a lot of issues that go along with that. Like people identify depending on, you know, their backgrounds and the knowledge that they have. And also I guess it's not really that much of a surprise that in a society where, you know, homosexuality is stigmatized that people will identify as something else even if their practices don't match that yeah so but also, i think there's a lot of underrepresentation that look, goes on and we find here in our, in this country in particular and within our community the trend is generally women first come out as same sex attracted or bisexual or queer and later come out as or identify as lesbian later in their life when they're 100% sure if that makes sense because they don't want to take it back yeah but the research shows that it actually goes every which way yeah um a, a particularly a US study showed that a lot of women who re- realized they were same sex attracted around the stage of college so we're talking early 20s came out as lesbian and then later realized in life they were actually bisexual and a few heterosexual which may mean that they took male long-term partners which doesn't necessarily make them heterosexual they're probably still bisexual if they're same-sex attracted but that's a big gray area but again with the identification it depends on how they identify see myself as a bisexual if I take a male long term life partner I don't then consider myself to have changed in sexuality my sexual orientation stays the same I'm still same sex attracted I'm in a relationship with a man I'm in a heterosexual relationship and identify as queer so I just find that really interesting and and also something that came up in in the study um, was that um, women and I think this is something that, that's kind of been out there as a concept for a while. But it's interesting to read, um, you know, the results of a compilation of a lot of different studies, which was that women, at least when it comes to self-reporting, are much more likely to report same-sex attraction than men are. Yeah. I- and in fact, um, one study that 
that was done, I think this was in the States as well, um, was a sexual response to different stimulus. Mm. And men's men's responses to with sexual attraction seem to go either, you know, pretty much all the way heterosexual or pretty much homosexual. Quite pragmatic. Whereas women's was all over the place. A huge spectrum. So even women that identified as heterosexual um, had sexual response to um, stimulus that was to do with other women. Um, and women that self-reported as lesbian were sexually turned on by you There know, was sexual arousal with well. heterosexual yeah. stimulus. Yeah. So it seems really to indicate that that women are a lot more fluid when it comes to sexual attraction than men are. Yeah, the studies across from like 19, 1992 until more recent have they've all showed that same that same thing, which is really interesting. Another thing that was really interesting and brought up about bisexuality, which is only kind of a recent phenomenon in the last twenty years, is that um, bisexual women tend to masturbate more, have more sexual partners, and. Um, are, form, are far more likely to identify with the kink community, which is really interesting as well. So it's a whole different genre of... Which sometimes somehow plays into some of the stereotypes, but at the same time, yeah. it doesn't, which is really interesting. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that after the break. If you want to join in on the topic and uh, have your say, text in on 0427-JOY949. Coming up next, we've got an awesome track. Good evening. You're listening to Femme Fatale with Kat and Gemma on Joy 94.9. Welcome to the show. We just heard Hands Open by a Snow Patrol. And on tonight's show, we are talking about sexuality and gender. Big topic. <laughs> Huge topic. Um, so far, we've talked about um, women and their tendency towards sexual fluidity as compared to men. Um, and now we're going to talk a little bit about gender identity. Mm. And gender bending. Yeah. Which is um, th- what sparked all of this conversation between Kat and I, and which we were really interested to bring this information to you, was more recent research, um, which is kind of blending or showing trends with, with research, particularly over the last 20 years in the medical profession and in psychology, um, about all of these things that relate to our community. Now, the problem has always been that there's been research in the, you know, 20 years ago. That didn't really, that wasn't really accurate enough. But more research has come out since then, and by combining all of them, we're starting to get a bit clearer picture of what's going on, and also a bit more of a accurate representation. Would you say, Kat? Yeah, definitely. There's more going on. So, in terms of gender identity and gender bending, um, one really interesting topic was the um, is looking at in the 70s when um, it was politically incorrect to identify as butch or femme. It was more politically correct. To be androgynous. To be androgynous. Whereas now just looking around our community we see that there's a lot more um, identifying in terms of gender coming through. Yeah and there's a lot more grey areas as well. It's, I mean I've been in Melbourne, well in part of the queer community in Melbourne only for about eight years and it's actually changed a lot just during that time, there seems to be much more of an awareness and acceptance of, um, yeah, a certain amount of fluidity um, when it comes to gender. And I'm not saying, I don't mean fluidity as in people, you know, necessarily changing it over time, but people's acceptance that it's not just this binary male-female 
thing. Definitely. So, um, and that ranges from people um, in the way they express their gender in terms of um, to the way they dress, butch or femme, the way they speak, um, how they live their lives and who they choose as their sexual partners. But also the, the rise in the last 20 years or so of the FTM transgender and transsexuals, which is really interesting and a, and a huge part of our community in Melbourne and something that Kat and I are constantly talking about and trying to raise awareness of because of friends in our own circle and, and people in the community that are underrepresented. So there's a huge shift to try and and see these people better um, represented in the research, but also for our general awareness of their issues and trying to make it a little bit easier. So we're, you know, in the seventies we were fighting the fight for gay rights and and our right to and all that stuff, and now we're fighting the rights for our transgender and transsexual friends. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and you know, and I think the research is starting to reflect that. I mean, there's starting to be more research into um, you know subgroups. Um, it's interesting, I think that. Um, um, so with the compilation of research so far, um, when some when women were asked to identify their gender as female or as other, so that was the choice, um, that 5% of lesbians um, identify as other. Um, however, virtually no bisexual or heterosexual women identify as other. Mm. So it's it seems to, when it comes to sexual orientation and gender still seems to fall into the the queer category. And I know bisexual women fit into that category as well, but it seems to be a particularly lesbian issue. Yes. Yes. It which does. is which is what's raised the question about whether gender identity and sexual orientation are intrinsically linked or if they're separate issues. Now the research and and, and academic transcript over the last 20 years has said that they're very separate but there's been a call amongst new academics to say that there perhaps needs to be a new paradigm where these two things are discussed as intrinsically linked for many many reasons and one of them being that gender identity was always thought of as being socially constructed and Mm -hmm. for many many reasons gay rights activists have fought for that and against it. But now it seems more like we're accepting that gender identity can be a lot more related to biological, which there was no research into that at all. And also, I mean... The concept of lesbianism in itself is has changed as well. Um, traditionally, um, it's been seen as a kind of uniform sexual orientation rather than as something that describes actually quite a broad range of behaviours as well as, you know, feelings and attractions. So, you know, that recognition that there um, are huge differences in sexual behaviour amongst people that label themselves, self, yeah, that self-label lesbians. Um, so some of them having never been attracted to a man, um, others having had strong attractions and history of involvement with men, mm. um, and for some people, you know, it, it changing throughout their lifetime. Mm, really interesting. Um, a, a 1999 study um, of gender and sexuality found that butch women often recalled more childhood gender atypical behaviour and had higher waist-to-hip ratios, higher saliva testosterone levels and less desire to give birth than either femme, lesbians or heterosexual women, which was one of the very first studies, this is, you know, in the last 10 to 12 years, that actually started to look at the biological effects of on gender and gender identity and therefore sexual orientation, which is kind of where we're going with it now. This is a really big topic. 
What I find interesting about that, and it's a gap in the literature, I mean, that, that makes sense to me, um, but it doesn't explain um, queer femmes to me. No. Which, makes, it, which brings me back to it's got to be so much more complicated than but, however it is that it we're researching does. it. It also does. It can mean that the hormone that, that there's a hormone shift that's slightly different. It's not this. The study that for me, the way I interpreted it, doesn't show that um, people, women who have um, you know higher saliva testosterone levels and smaller, um, sorry, higher waist hip ratios, didn't necessarily mean that they were lesbian. It meant that they, that they were more likely to identify in terms of gender. You, yes, right. as butch, as a butch lesbian. So not necessarily that they that made them more or less lesbian than anyone else. It meant that they were identifying as butch. Oh, okay, I and are more likely to make an F to M transition later in life. If that makes sense. That does make sense. And it also really helped me to wrap my head around it. I mean, I had a really interesting conversation with a gay couple, um, friends of mine, when I went to Sydney recently. And one of um, their really good lesbian friends always dresses in really butch clothing. Like, Mm -hmm. we're talking football jerseys and, you know, big men's work boots and men's clothing. And they, they're they quite comfortable with this woman. She's a really close friend and they hang out a lot. And they went to um, a friend's place who had a swimming pool and went for a swim. And she came out in a gorgeous one-piece swimming suit. And they were all like, oh, my God, you're amazing. You have an amazing body. Like, why don't you dress more feminine? And why don't you, you know? And they couldn't – these two gay men could not understand why this woman would make a choice – to dress the way that she did. And I had a really big conversation with them about it and I, I finally got them to understand that it wasn't about looking attractive to men. Yeah, yeah. It was about looking attractive to herself and to her same to same sex. And I, I had to really battle with them to get them to understand that she felt more comfortable not looking attractive to the opposite sex, that that put her in a safer place emotionally, mentally, physically in society yeah, yeah, yeah. than dressing like a femme. And that, that was how she felt comfortable expressing her gender and her sexual orientation. And they could they, they eventually wrapped their head, heads around it and was like, wow, that's really interesting. I've never thought about that, that probably lesbian women dress like this so that they don't attract unwanted male attention. And this the, makes perfect sense Little pennies dropped in their, <laughs> their gay, gay male brains and they... Yeah, they, they finally understood and kind of let let the issue go, which I thought was really important. But it's one of those things that we don't talk about enough with gay men. Mm. There's not enough cross – like they don't have fully understand and they – yeah. But it's nice to have a dialogue about it. Yeah, I agree. We're out of time on this section, but we want to talk more and we want to hear what you think. Text in anytime at 0427JOY949. You, we're going to cut to a track, I'm a Lady by Santa Gold, and uh, we'll be with you shortly. Good evening, you're listening to Femme Vitale on Joy 94.9. We just heard I'm a Lady by Santa Gold and Knockin' on Heaven's Door by Bob Dylan. We've had a bit of a mishmash of genres this evening, trying to just keep it a little bit real and keep you on your toes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because we're talking about some pretty hefty intellectual stuff. Um, Kat and I have been talking about gender bending, sexual fluidity, sexuality and sexual orientation versus gender identity and biological versus it's all very it's all a lot <laughs> it's all a lot but we're trying to we're what we're trying to do is consume 
and understand a lot of the recent research and how it's changed from some of the research in the past that misrepresented mm. our community. And we're trying to give it back to you in a way that you can actually understand and take home and feel a little bit more comfortable that maybe the research that's coming out in more recent times... is a little more balanced and a little, little bit more reliable, perhaps. Exactly. Speaking of which, um, a topic um, that that was spawned because of research um, that I always like debunking and talking about is um, lesbian bed death, um, which is something that um, I think we've all heard of. We all make jokes about it. Sometimes we don't think that jokes very funny if we feel like it applies to us. I'm sorry. Sex death is never funny. Yeah, it's never. I don't have a smile on my face. It's never funny. Um, But anyway, it's one of those, um, it, it sort of fits under the heading in the research of common knowledge about lesbian relationships. Um, because it's one of those things that everyone's heard of and, you know, seems to make a lot of sense. It's meshed into the stereotype because um, one particular research um, in the 80s didn't really define their um, target audience properly. Yeah, it maybe didn't define define sex as as broadly as... um, Was necessary to include us. Yes, that's right. (laughs) So um, for those few of you out there that haven't stumbled across this term yet... um, Lesbian bed death. Um, it, it was born from a, a study in the early 80s, um, which found that lesbian couples in committed relationships have less sex than any other type of couple on the face of the planet, and that they generally experience less sexual intimacy as the relationship goes on. Now, it's being criticised by the lesbian community a lot, not just because, ouch, but because there are a lot of things about the, the study that are spurious. One of them... Um, was that it asked people, um, you know, how how long since they'd had sex, but was very the way that sex was defined within the terms of that study was pretty much penetrative sex, and which doesn't necessarily apply. It wasn't to particularly inclusive of the more common forms of lesbian sex. Yes, which meant that by their standards, lesbians weren't having sex. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> when much. When in fact, the occasion of intimacy is often more frequent. Well, because they reported more more intimacy. In all of the reports, lesbian women report more intimacy than sex by the survey's definition. Of what sex actually exactly. includes, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it is still a pretty interesting topic. I mean, other people have obviously done research into this area since. Um, and one that I found really interesting um, is one that came out a few years ago um, by a group of psychologists um, in the States who... Um, deal mainly with um, a queer population Mm. Um, and their study did indeed show that um, of all the women that they studied that lesbians actually did not have sex as frequently um, as heterosexual women or bisexual women. However, even under a broader definition of sex, Mm. so including non-penetrative sex, However, um, although women with men um, had slightly more frequent sex than women with other women, um, they reported um, often having sex when they didn't really feel like it. So, like, Mm. uh, to do with um, pressure from one's partner to have sex. Um, Women in lesbian relationships uh, reported having um, not so much, I guess, quantity of Mm. sex, but there was a huge correlation between um, 
women with female partners and the quality of sex, mm. that the sex lasted longer. Mm. And interestingly, um, which made me smile, um, was far more likely to result in orgasm. Yeah. But I just want to go back for a second on the, on the point that lesbian relationships often resulted in less sex. Um, they, re, they re-edited that study and when they took married women out of the portion and just um, surveyed, like matched the, the, the data between single women, or sorry, not single women, but, but unmarried women and lesbian women, the stats were very much the same. Oh, really? So it had something to do with, well, what the findings were. It had something to do with um, married women and their longevity, Mm -hmm. because we aren't able to get married, um, resulted in the stats being skewed. Mm -hmm. And once they took that unfair element out, the stats were almost identical. Interesting, huh? Yes, really interesting. And also, uh, yeah, another thing that kind of ties into that is that there's been a lot of criticism over the years that that lesbian and gay relationships don't last as long as heterosexual relationships. And so far, pretty much all the research bears out that um, the longevity of a relationship is tied to whether or not you can get married. Married or not. So if you can get married and people do get married, their relationships tend to last longer. So it feels like... You know, um, beating someone with a, a a stick, really. It's like, well, you can't do it. And, and we're going to criticise you because that thing we <laughs> won't let you do uh, means that your relationships yeah. don't last as long. Yeah. And one of the other things, look, one of the places we're still underrepresented in the research is in lesbian sexual dysfunction. There's still not enough out there for us to really um, be represented and have very little understanding of sexual dysfunction. We know that there is some um, psychological barriers and sexual dysfunction um, will more so occur with women who are transgender or transsexual. They often find it harder to find partners, meet partners and have um, satisfying sexual relationships. But other than that, there's not a huge amount of research. Kat, have you got it any? No, it's... I mean, it really is just starting out still. I mean, and... I mean, I have noticed... I mean, I've been looking at research into women's sexuality for, you know, a number of years now, um, and it does seem to be growing. Um, but those problems of um, definition, etc., still persist. Yeah. Um, I remember you know, listening to me rant recently about a, a study that I did um, where I was asked about my sexual preference and not my sexual orientation. And you and how, how frustrated I was that in 2012 someone was asking me that question um, because I felt like it skewed possible responses because yeah. my sexual preference and my sexual orientation may or may not be the same thing. I mean, I, I knew what they meant, but so I was... So wait, what I did was, they ask you on the survey? What my sexual preference was. Yeah. See, as a bisexual, if you ask my sexual orientation, I'm not included in that. That's yeah. not fair. What do you mean? I'm not... Well, orientation is where you're oriented yeah. as heterosexual or homosexual. Do you... Well, I guess, by, I guess that they would include bisexual in well, orientation. Well, of course though. they do. But when I read that, I find it really that it doesn't include me as much. Well, see, well, for me, though, like preference... Um, suggests that we suggests, have a choice. Yeah. I understand, but... For bisexuals, it's not a choice, but we're also not orientated one way. Well, you're orientated towards yeah. bisexuality. Yeah, I understand, but it can be read totally differently by lots of different people depending on their 
So you would rather be asked for your sexual preference? No, I wouldn't be right. I wouldn't. You would just rather the whole question was framed differently. That it was ho- that it was completely yeah. framed in yeah, a different yeah, yeah, yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm uncomfortable with both terminology. Yeah, look, I just uh, the, the whole thing with definition. I mean, I know you can get really nitpicky about it, but it is important. I mean, you look at something like lesbian bed death, for example, which took on a whole life of its own and has been referenced through, you know, research and pop culture for decades now. Um, really came about. Because they called, they defined sex in some way that didn't actually apply to the people that they were asking the questions to. I'm going to point out the obvious. It's I believe that the people doing the research in the earlier years weren't the people who should have been doing the research. So what I'm saying is as we've gained exposure and understanding and awareness in the broader community and gained better employment opportunities and better education because we're more widely accepted in our communities and in education institutions and in, in employment at large. Finally, the right people are and the in the right, right questions places, are getting asking asked. the right questions and defining their surveys in the right way. That's what I suggest is going on. And we look, we want to push out there for more academics who are queer identified to do more research and get it funded and get it out there because there's a huge call for it. Yeah, look, and you know, the upside is that you have to make those mistakes, I guess, in order to find out that those assumptions are at play. Um, if no one had ever said, really, is it, could it be true that lesbians are having much less sex than everyone else and that they're, you know, it dies out in their relationship? If that hadn't have come out of that research and that then people wouldn't have been prompted to look at it and mm. look for ways in which the data explained that yeah. so that you would then say, hang on a second, yeah. are we asking, when we say sex, are we meaning the same thing as they're meaning? But we're talking about 20 years before it was rectified in the research. It totally went by. 20 years is enough time to gain a very serious stereotype in the community and for us as people. Yes, that's true. Yeah, it took 20 years to face a mistake. We're totally out of time. <laughs> so really, totally out of time. We could talk about this all night. We've had heaps of fun discussing this stuff with you guys. We hope you've got something out of it. Look, we are putting the call out because we want to know. We're doing a Christmas Eve show at 8 p.m. on the 24th of December. We want to know what you want to hear and what you want us to talk about on Christmas Eve. Obviously, we're not going to be talking about orgasms or anything vagina-related, but <laughs> unless you say yeah, you be. want us to. Um, we kind of want to do a big gay Christmas in the studio and get everyone in and do carols and all that kind of thing, but we want to hear what you want to hear. So text in or email us or Facebook us at any time. We're out of time. We're going to cut to a track. Coming up next, we've got Kiss My Arts with Amy Basto and you're listening to Femme Vitale on Joy 94.9. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycast. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.